Good morning. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Again, this is Matthew 1:18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of God. Good morning. Happy Advent. Merry Christmas. Good to be with you all. As Christina said, this this December we're... And we're looking at this theme of preparing room for the Lord, and it's kind of a cliche, but it's so easy for Jesus to get lost in the season of Christmas. And so we're looking at how did we not do that, and more important than just in the Christmas season, but in our lives, how do we make room for the presence of Emmanuel throughout our days? And so last week, we looked at the story of Mary and how she literally made room in her body for, for, the, for Jesus and then in her life. And today, we get to look at uh, her husband Joseph's story and uh, how he made room for Jesus. Actually, he was kind of forced to make room for Jesus, and that's sometimes how it happens. Um, and throughout this, this month, we're also talking about the Laodicean church, which we've talked a lot about. Uh, and this, I, we're, we're using this because this was a church that had stopped making room for Jesus. Uh, this is a church that's talked about in the book of Revelation, and they had a lot of good things going for them. They were wealthy, they had a lot of resources, a lot of activities, a lot of good things, but in the midst of that, Jesus slowly got pushed to the outside of their lives. He wasn't at the center of their lives. And I want to I remind you of something that they were actually saying, this church in Laodicea. Jesus is speaking to them, and he says this, you say, this is how they were thinking about themselves, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing, but you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Okay, some strong words from Jesus, but this church kind of had every kind of worldly resource at their disposal, and what that left them with was a profound sense of self-sufficiency. Like, we're kind of good. We've got, when we need something, we can buy it. When we need medical care, we can receive it. When we need new clothes, there's great fashion around us. Like, we, we kind of have what we need, and it left them with a sense of, we kind of have everything dialed in, and we can kind of take care of our lives. And Jesus reminds them that sense of self-sufficiency is an absolute illusion. You guys are deceived. You're not seeing yourselves clearly. And I'm knocking, and I want to be brought back into the middle of your community. And so I want to talk about that this morning and what it means to put Jesus back in the center, what it means to make room for Jesus. 
And um, we're going to do that through the story of Joseph. And uh, as I said before, sometimes Jesus just makes room for himself in our lives, doesn't he? Sometimes he just disrupts things and, and says, I'm going to put myself back in the center uh, by creating some circumstances that, that release you from that illusion of self-sufficiency. And that was certainly the case for, for Joseph. I, I, liked, I found this image of Joseph. You know, Joseph, I call him Joseph the dreamer. Um, there are actually four dreams in the first two chapters of Matthew's gospel where an angel appears to him and has a message for him in a dream. And I love this. It's kind of like, this is what his whole life felt like. Like, I'm just trying to sleep. Why do you keep waking me up, making me up with these adventures and these just, just disrupting what I'm, my comforts and what I want? But really, what, what Emmanuel meant for Joseph was just disruption in his life, as we're going to see a series of adventures that he, he hadn't asked for, he certainly hadn't planned on, uh, circumstances where any illusion of self-sufficiency was stripped from him, and he was re- forced to rely on God and just kind of try to be faithful moment by moment. And so I want to actually look at his story today. I think it's a fascinating adventure. Um, it's a fun adventure to read about. It probably wasn't a fun adventure to actually live, um, but he was faithful through it. And so I want to look at the, the Christmas story through the dreamer's eyes today, all right? So let's look at our passage. Four dreams. We'll actually look at each one of them. Pretty, we'll, go, we'll move pretty fast through the story, but I want you to try to put yourself in his shoes. Uh, so scene one, uh, verse 18, what Britt just read for us. Uh, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit, exclamation point, right? She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So try to put yourself in Joseph's shoes if you can, okay? I put him in his early 20s. We don't know exactly, but I'd put him somewhere in his early 20s. Uh, He's engaged. He's betrothed. That's a year-long process in the first century. And I imagine he has a, a deep love and care for Mary. And he has a vision of his future with her, a life together, probably a family together. And he's excited about that. And I just, I was thinking this week, what Emmanuel, the presence of Jesus, what did that first mean to Joseph? And the first thing that meant for him was actually a profound sense of betrayal from his fiancée. Right? The first thing that Emmanuel meant for him was this gut punch of betrayal. This, this woman that I have planned a life with, that I have dedicated my life to, has, has betrayed me in the deepest possible way because he knows he's not the dad, Right? It's just a gut punch out of nowhere. Oh my gosh, this is, I can't believe this has happened. The anger, the confusion, um, the sense of loss, the sense of like the rug being pulled out from his plans and his hopes and his dreams for his life, right? My fiance has cheated on me. She's pregnant and I know I'm not the dad, right? Um, I, I found it interesting how scripture puts it. She was found to be with child. I wonder if she tried that line on Joseph. <clears throat> you know, honey, here's, I went to sleep last night and I swear I woke up and I was found to be with child. You know, we don't, we don't know how that was communicated to him or whether she had that conversation or what happened, but or whether he was invited into the, the story of an angel who appeared to her and, you know, the Holy Spirit came upon her, but a virgin birth had never happened in the history of the world, okay? Uh, no man would probably accept this story. I mean, you, man, you put yourself in, that sh- in those shoes. Imagine Christmas never happened and your fiance 
told you that. There's, there's no way. And um, that's what Emmanuel first meant to him. Just betrayal, shock, sadness, loss. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, or some translations, he was a righteous man, and yet didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And back then, betrothal was a legal situation requiring, yet you had required divorce to, to separate. And so, Scripture's saying Joseph was a good man, and, and he did what any good man in his circumstance would do, um, which is um, call off the wedding. Okay? They're, they're not five years into a marriage where an affair happens. This is like before we get to the starting point. This, this, we don't have something to work off of here. This is, what, this is what a righteous man would do, but it says he doesn't want to subject her to, to the public disgrace of, of what he thinks she's done. And um, so he has plans to, to divorce her very discreetly and quietly. And he's actually, even in his hurt, he has every right to kind of want to get back at her. But he is portrayed as a man who's trying to protect her, uh, her, her reputation in the community to the extent that he can. So it's a very honorable um, response. And then he has his first dream. And he'll get sick of these dreams by the end, I promise you. Um, verse 20, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said... Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And that, that phrase really hit me this week. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph, this thing that looks horrible in your life, this thing that is very painful, that looks really bad, this thing that threatens to literally ruin your life, <laughs> is actually from the Holy Spirit. God, actually, God is doing this, and God is at work in this event that you think is the worst event that's happened to you in your life so far, but the Spirit of God really is at work. Mary is telling the truth. And I was thinking, I, I would bet there are many of you in this room who could share stories with us of things that happened in your life that were very painful, that pulled the rug out from your plans that were very disruptive and that left you with a series of unknowns that were hard, that looking back, some of those events, you would go, at the time it was awful, but looking back, I can honestly say, the Spirit of God was at work in that. Something that I thought was something I would never want and wouldn't wish on anybody, looking back, I can say the Spirit of God was at work in that. Like, he moved, he did some things in that. And that was certainly the case for Joseph. So he learns, oh my goodness, my fiance is telling the truth. So he responds, look at verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. Okay, I want you to think about what that decision to take her into his home as his wife pre the, the date of their wedding, right? What that would mean in a, uh, a conservative, religious, first century Jewish environment, right? So he has a pregnant fiance, and um, he's bringing her into his home to marry her. So anyone in town is going to assume, oh, no righteous man would move forward with this marriage with a woman who cheated on him, so what? He must be the dad oh, this is something that they did together. And again, in that kind of environment, there'd be a lot of embarrassment, be a lot of judgment and shame on a couple that 
had, this is, this is not 21st century American Western culture, okay? It's a very different culture. And so he chooses to bring her into his home and really protect her and take that shame, the public shame and embarrassment onto himself and play this protective role as a husband and bear shame that isn't his to bear. And of course, it's not Mary's to bear either, but he, he kind of protects her in that decision. It's a beautiful, righteous response, but that, that, that cost him something. And so they do, and Jesus is born. All right, so I wanna, I'm gonna, we're going to keep going with the story here into chapter 2. So fast forward um, a year or so, all right? Jesus is born, he's healthy. Uh, we'll say life is going on somewhat swimmingly. We don't really know what those early months were like, but, you know, they're figuring out life with a newborn boy. And then if you go to chapter 2, the story continues, and we all know this story. We uh, sang about it earlier. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. And we all know the story of the wise men and Herod, who uh, was very threatened by the, this idea of a, another king that's been born and says, I don't want another king and chooses to kill all the babies in that kind of age range to try to wipe out whatever this would-be king would be. Okay? This, is, this is the darkest, I think, the darkest part of the Christmas story, what we know as the slaughter of the innocents, where Herod would send his, his you know, soldiers to kill these, these baby boys. And so all of a sudden, this family is thrust into all sorts of danger that, that they hadn't expected. So Joseph's story picks up in verse 13. Look at chapter 2, verse 13, with Joseph's second dream. I'm telling you, he's going to get sick of these dreams by the end. When they had gone, when the, when the Magi had gone, they visit Jesus, right? When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up took the child and his mother during that night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. Okay, parents, can you imagine this message? I mean, fathers and mothers, can you imagine hearing this? No warning, right? No warning out of nowhere, middle of night, woken up by a dream. Uh, Joseph, get up. <laughs> No time to think, act now. I want you to get your family and I want you to flee, where? To Egypt, to another country, to another culture along very dangerous trade routes. I want you to go there and uh, no, no clarity, you know, no clarity given on how long he'll be there. I want you to go there, just go there until I tell you to come back, okay? We don't know if it was months or I assume it was several years before Herod died, um, but you're gonna go to another land and you're just going to be there for an unknown amount of time <laughs> until I tell you to come back. And I was just trying to like imagine a modern day parallel for us. Like what if uh, fathers, you got a dream from an angel that said, wake up, um, the president wants to kill your child. Uh, you know, his special forces team is coming in in two hours into your house. You need to get up right now, pack whatever you can, get in your car, head for the southern border, right? Cross over to Cotty and just blend in for a couple of years. Right? And I'll tell you when you can come back to Orange County. 
right? I mean, that, I'm just trying to think, like, what would that feel like uh, in this? And, and what's so interesting, we know nothing about their time in Egypt other than what I just read to you. There's, we have no details how long it was, um, what it was like. But try to, just try to imagine, you know, caravanning down there. We don't know if they had, maybe they had relatives or, or people that knew them or acquaintances, but we don't know. But imagine being the father and dad in that circumstance, of bringing your, your fledgling family uh, into a new culture, having to find housing, right? Um, we know he was a carpenter. Was he able to start up a carpentry business there to support the family? Was he a day laborer for a couple years? Um, just making ends meet um, for some unknown amount of time. But imagine what that, I mean, we have so many like refugees in the world today. We, we're kind of more aware of that than ever before with, with wars and, and regimes. And you have these people, right, having to flee dangerous circumstances and depend on the hospitality of others and, and all these situations that we're so aware of. And we think of this, that's kind of what they had to experience. That's what Joseph had to lead his family through. It was something like that for some unknown amount of time, just waiting for the angel to appear in another dream. Wild. All right, scene three. I know we're just kind of having to move fast, but um, third dream, look at verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph again in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. Okay, so after... Settling in to a place, probably familiarizing themselves with Egypt, maybe making some connections. They have to uproot again, and they're heading back home uh, to safety in Judea, or so they think. Uh, Verse 21, so he got up, took the child and his mother, and he went to the land of Israel. Here's dream four. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, and his son is no better than the father, right? He's like father, like son. So he's afraid to go there. So having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee up in the north, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth, okay? So he gets up from Egypt, takes his family back to Judea, and he finds out this is just as dangerous as where I left it. And then in Judea, I'm assuming, the angel appears to him and says, "Uh, get up, and I want you to go north up to Galilee, go up to Nazareth, to Nowheresville, right, as we learned from last last week. And that's where the family settles, and that's where um, Jesus is is raised. Uh, We don't know what age he was at that point, but um, that's kind of where Matthew's story, or or where um, Joseph's story ends in the Gospels with settling back up in Nazareth, okay? So these four dreams, and really after this, Joseph disappears from the gospel story. We have one more account of him, and it's one more account of Jesus disrupting his life again. When Jesus was 12, remember, and they go down to Jerusalem, and Jesus gets lost in Jerusalem for three days, and he and uh, Joseph and Mary are just infuriated by their son, who caused so much pain and grief for them, and Um, That's the last scene we have of Joseph in the Gospels. And he just kind of disappears from the story after this. And all scholars, uh, I think by all accounts, it seems as uh, as though Joseph has died by the time Jesus begins his public ministry when he's 30. Um, And he's clearly died by the time Jesus is crucified, we think at about 33 years old. And so we think this man who played a part in Jesus' early years, died, and Jesus um, had to experience the loss of his earthly father, and, and he just kind of, you know, recedes from the story. And that's the story of Joseph. And I'm done. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, so, I mean, that's a quick overview, right? But I just want to just try to take, I was just reflecting this week on this man's life, what we know of him in these first two chapters, and what Emmanuel meant to him, what Jesus meant for him, and in a word, I already said it, Emmanuel meant disruption, <laughs> right? Emmanuel meant his plans being turned upside down. It meant him being thrown into circumstances where he was way in over his head. He didn't know what to do. It was totally dependent on God. And to, to the Laodicean conversation about self-sufficiency, I use that, we, right, we have everything we need. Emmanuel meant for Joseph any illusion of self-sufficiency, being totally stripped, being forced to rely on God to depend on God, for God's angel to show up at the right time and to tell him what to do and to obey that. And I was, I was really struck this week by the, how the angel dealt with Joseph. I don't know how you felt about how, how the angel speaks to him, but I was struck by how much was demanded of Joseph and how very little was explained to him in the process. Uh, the, I noticed the first dream starts kind of nice with don't be afraid. You know, that's a nice way to start. But the next two messages start with two words, get up right? A high would be nice, you know. Get up. Get up and go. Leave everything you is familiar and go to a place I'm going to show you. And even I was struck by the timing of, of the dreams. Like, Joseph is given information at the last moment when he needs it and never before, right? Like, get up. Herod is going to kill your son. Leave tonight. And I'm thinking, I think God, like, knows the future. Like, like a two-month head start would have been helpful. Like, right? Like, hey, in, in two months, Herod's going to send people. So say, say your goodbyes, gather your things, you know, and then you can leave. But like, really? Tonight? Like, you couldn't have told me this before? And then he goes to Egypt, and he comes back into Galilee. And in, or, I'm sorry, not Galilee, to Judea. And in Judea, the angel says, actually, <laughs> this is a dangerous place to go. You need to go up to, up to the north of Galilee. Couldn't you have told me that in Egypt? Uh, we could have, you know, bypassed this whole thing. And it feels like he's given information at the, at the last moment where he needs it. And it's information that requires a prompt and obedient response. And I thought that, that's just an interesting um, it's an interesting thing, but he's, he's thrown in the, into this adventure that requires courage, obedience, fortitude, and this is what he has to do. And uh, as I reflected on him, I was so moved and impressed by Joseph's response. And in a word, I think his response was obedience. That's what he models simply is obedience. And if you read each scene really carefully, you'll notice there is this perfect correspondence between what the angel asks him to do and what he actually does. Every time, just this perfect corresponding obedience to the word of God in his life. And um, he never gripes. He never questions. He just obeys. And what's really interesting, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, Joseph never speaks in these accounts. In fact, scripture never gives us a recorded word of Joseph. He never speaks. I love this. This is from a commentary. It says this, in every scene, Joseph simply acts without speaking. His speech is to do the will of God. His hallmark is obedience, prompt, simple, and unspectacular obedience. 
And I love, we, we get no insight into, into Joseph's psychological world, do we? No insight into his feelings, his thoughts, what's going on inside of him. All we know is what he does. And I, I wonder if Matthew, in writing this, he wanted it that way, because what mattered in these moments was what he actually did, which was obey. And so you've got this man whose life was utterly disrupted, thrown into this adventure where he's way over, in over his head, and he obeys. Simple, right, unspectacular obedience. And then really he kind of just recedes from the story, and Jesus comes into the center of the story. Really interesting, isn't it? Interesting experience of Emmanuel for this man. So we are um, talking about preparing him room. Right? This is our theme. And I think what Joseph would want to tell us is what that means is preparing room in your life for a God who might disrupt your life at any time. A God who's not beholden to your plans and expectations or comforts in life, but a, plan, a God who has his plans and purposes in this world. And he is going to call you into those. Sometimes he'll even drag you into those, uh, whether you want it or not. And so making room is about being open to that kind of disruption, that open to, to a God who, who's going to throw you curveballs and who's going to ask you to roll with it and to say, I'm still with you in this. There's something I have for you in this. I want you to be a part of this with me. And um, I know so many of you right now are in seasons of disruption. Like many of you can relate to, you know, some of the things that, that Joseph's talking about. But you, you are in seasons where, where um, like I've said, the, the rug's been pulled out from you in terms of your hopes or your comforts or plans or dreams and, and things are just kind of thrown off and, and you're being stripped of self-sufficiency. You're actually, you're being stripped of the illusion of self-sufficiency. We're, it's always an illusion, right? Self-sufficiency is always an illusion, but sometimes we can kind of live with that illusion and other times life happens and we realize, oh, that was just an illusion. And, and some of you are in that season right now. Um, some of you are in seasons of, of a lot of unknown. Like you're looking at the future and it's very unclear. And just as with Joseph, God is not giving you information about the future. He's, he's like, gosh, I would love to have some more information ahead of time, Lord. And you're just not getting that from him. You're, you're having to kind of just take it one day at a time, respond in the moment as best you can with what you've got in the moment, trusting him day by day, moment by moment. Uh, and some of you, your lives are actually pretty great, but there are people you love who are in profound seasons of disruption or loss or pain or confusion. And that itself is a disruption because God is probably calling you to meet them and love them and serve them and be with them. And, and that calling is going to be its own um, beautiful disruption in your own lives. And I think Joseph would be like, that's kind of par for the course in this world with Emmanuel. That's kind of how our God for, what, for better or for worse, this is how he operates in the world. Um, but the good news, of course, which I've already shared, is, is that Emmanuel's with us in the disruption. The good news is sometimes that which is conceived in this disruption is actually from the Holy Spirit. And even if we wouldn't say this thing is, because some of these things are not good, they're bad and they're, they're, bad, they're awful, but at least we can say Emmanuel is at work in this. He's always at work. 
He's always with us. He's always doing things. And there's things that he does in the disruptions that he just doesn't do, right, when life is just going along swimmingly, when we're comfortable, when we're feeling in control. And when that's pulled from us, God tends to open up a space in us um, that can't be opened up any other way. I mean, I think about the Laodicean church. That church, they had everything. And you're thinking, what on earth was going to get Jesus back into the center of their church? And I don't have an answer, but my guess is disruption, <laughs> probably, right? Disruption that would, that would remind them, oh my goodness, we are not in control. And that would maybe soften them to the presence of Jesus that, where they might invite him to take control again. And so making room, preparing room, is simply, I think, being a people who are open to God working in those ways and responding faithfully when he does. I want to end with a, a story uh, from one of you, actually. I have a little video story. Um, I asked Paul Bresenden, who many of you know, to share a little bit of what, about what's been going on in his life this year. And um, it's about a five-minute video. And I, I love, he shares uh, a disruption that has occurred that I think so many of you will relate to. Um, uh, but he also shares a, a space that God has opened up in his life, that Jesus has opened up in his life um, that wouldn't have been opened up if this disruption hadn't occurred. So um, enjoy this, and then I'll come back up and, and close this off. Hi, Grace family. My name is Paul Bresenden. Um, I run a marketing agency, and uh, this year, as we were setting up our planning for 2023, we knew it was going to be a little bit of a different year from a and economic environment perspective. And so instead of planning for a 20% growth year like we normally do, we decided to be really conservative and plan for a 10% growth year. Um, and I don't know, maybe three or four months into the year, it suddenly hit me that instead of it being a 10% growth year that we were bleeding out pretty quickly. Um, we had projects to just that nothing was going. And so uh, this this slow sort of, I don't know, wave of embarrassment hit me as I realized that I, my business is helping other people do sales and marketing and plan for growth. And somehow I missed this, you know, huge hiccup in our own sales and growth strategy. And so I just kind of jumped into it. I know how to do this. I'm good at it. I'm going to, I'm going to fix this problem. And, um, you know, fast forward another three or four months and we still haven't closed anything. Uh, and our, Reserve accounts are getting to the bare bottom. All of our savings accounts are gone. And it, this, I don't know, this sense of fear, panic kind of hit me as I realized there's nothing left. There's, our savings accounts are gone. We're operating on fumes. Um, and, you know, what was normally this sense of like, this is my, my strength. This is my gifting uh, suddenly hit this like wall of what do I do now? Um, and in that season, it's the, like, I don't know, everything just sort of changed. I like, I couldn't sleep. Uh, I was full of stress. I, my, I think I was debriefing this with my wife the other day and she was talking about how she could sense that I was carrying something really heavy, but no one knew how to help. And I remember just like all of my habits were gone. My, my, you know, my exercise routines, my, my get up and like, because I was losing sleep, I couldn't get up. Like I was exhausted in the morning and I was exhausted all day and I 
you know, all of this stuff started to stack up. And I remember thinking, there's nowhere to turn to but to God. Uh, this coincided with this launch of our, you know, uh, men's Bible study. And so we were talking about spiritual disciplines and prayer. And, um, and I, I knew that in order to do this, like I, I had to like somehow find time to do this and life with kids is hard. And so I, I was just praying, God, would you get me up? Would you wake me up in the morning? Um, and I, I don't know, to be honest, I've never actually even thought to pray that before. <laughs> and, um, honestly, like this, like idea of knowing how to pray and knowing what to ask God for, like the, we were in our reading thinking about how God delights in spending time with us, that we are his delight. I've always viewed God as being this, you know, yes, he loves me, but yes, he's this like creator that's a little bit more distant that we have to sort of please and even praying this simple prayer of like would you get up in the morning and that we that I'm his delight like I woke up at 5 30 the next morning um not tired pretty excited to spend time with him but with this thought of like God wants to be here in the morning with me and um Honestly, it like wrecked me. I've been like weepy ever since. And this has been, I don't know, months now. And every morning I wake up at 5.30 in the morning and I spend time with God. And um, during Thanksgiving, I was driving to pick up some tables and chairs for my wife and um, was reflecting on what my, you know, the psalm that I was reading that morning and thinking through how my kids had asked me in prayer, like, how do you hear God's voice? Do you hear his voice audibly in prayer? And, the, and I gave this sort of answer of like, no, but I know he's real. And I kind of listed off these ways that God has intervened miraculously in my life. And it was these things that were sort of far off. And it, and it just smacked me in the face of like, how juvenile that was in some degree as I was realizing it now. That now as I look at my relationship with God and my moments with him, like, I don't need this miraculous sort of picture that was far off of how God intervened in my life. Like, I get up every morning with him and I spend time with him and I, he wakes me up because he loves being with me and I love being with him. And I've been thinking through this sort of moment, like people ask me, like, oh, are things better? And yeah, to be honest, yes, they are. It's like, we were slowly digging up and kind of getting out of this revenue like revenue problem at work and you know all those other sorts of things are starting to align but like and the list of answered prayers of things that I've been having in this season are endless they're long some of them are mundane and some of them are really big and as much as I think I thought I would be really excited to talk about how I'm past this season I think the thing that strikes me is I shared today, like with someone that doesn't even believe in Jesus, like the thing I'm most excited to share is that God, God wakes me up at 530 in the morning and I get to spend time with him. And it is, it is rich and it is powerful. And he is doing something in me and in our family and in this, in this church. And, and I'm excited to see what that is. Isn't that great? I, I've been telling Paul, I really like Weepy Paul now. We, weepy Paul is a better Paul. 
And um, he, gosh, we were extending texts yesterday and messages, and he said, I, I would have said a while ago, I wouldn't wish this, you know, disruption's never fun. He said, I wouldn't wish this on anybody. And he's like, in light of what I'm experiencing, he's like, I actually would wish this on everybody. In light of the intimacy that I'm experiencing with Jesus, that he loves me, that he wakes me up because he wants to be with me. And how disruption created a space in him uh, that w- just wouldn't have happened any other way. And that's so often how it happens. And many, many of you could share stories just like that. So um, I want to leave you just with that question. What about you? You know, where, where's the disruption in your life right now? And what does it look like to, to, rather than try to flee that, right, or try to get out of that as quickly as possible, to ask Emmanuel, where are you in this? Where are you with me in this? What does is, what is faithfulness look like to you in this? How can I just faithfully respond? And, uh, or maybe the other question is, where are the needs around you where people are going through some hard things? And maybe the, the prayers, Emmanuel, give me eyes to see the needs of people around me and help me move towards them, even if that is disruptive to my own comforts and you know, my own desires. What does that look like? So that's what I think making room is. Lord, where are you at work in this disruption? I wanna be faithful to you. And don't forget that the gospel, whatever disruption we might experience in life, the gospel is that Emmanuel experienced the greatest disruption of all, right? The one who is the God of the universe, who disrupted everything about his existence in order to become a human being, and a poor one at that, that he might be with us. Though he was in the form of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing and took on the form of a servant. And so Emmanuel has experienced the greatest disruption. He has made so much room in his life for us. And so he is with us uh, in all that we go through. So let me close this in prayer. Lord Jesus, um, Gosh, we just invite your spirit to, to move in us, to work in us. Um, I pray especially for those in this room right now who are really just going through hard things, that things are painful or sad or confusing or there's a lot of unknowns, uh, there's loss, disappointment, any number of things that um, we would all want to get out of um, if, we can't, if we could. And I just pray your spirit would minister to them. Um, Lord, remind them that you're with them as the one who knows what pain feels like, knows disruption. Would you bring your comfort? Would you bring your, your encouragement, your guidance? Um, but more than anything, just your presence with them. And also open our eyes to all those in need, Lord, around us. Give us willing hearts to, to be interrupted by those needs, um, to step into love and serve, even when that costs us something, Lord. May we be people who are like you in that way. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.